Good morning. Come on in if you're coming in. Well, Lord, we just thank you that we can come before you today. God, what a privilege to be able to serve our mighty king. And we're all here because of you. We're all here for you. We're not here because we need some social club on a Sunday morning, but we're here because we want to know you more today. We want to hear your word. We want it to fill us. We want it to change us. We want to know you more, Lord. We're here because we want to praise you, God. We thank you for this opportunity to do it. In your precious name, we give you all the glory. Amen. Standing up, we will praise the Lord.
turning up as bright as I can. Good job. All together now.
I can't think of a single thing in my life that can overtake me, that can overtake you. You are stronger than anything I come up against, stronger than my fears, you're stronger than my selfish, foolish heart. You're stronger than every sin that kept me from you before the day that you cleansed me and made me new. And I know that the same is true for every saved person in this world, Lord. Thank you that you overcame the worst of us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. And good morning. Good to see you all here. Just a few announcements uh, today. Uh, we're having lunch, and I don't, you probably can't see my shirt from here, but there's little tacos on it. And so that's what we're having for lunch. And I'm a fan of tacos. That's kind of pretty much what I eat at a Mexican place. It's funny, like 90% uh, of the Mexican places in Georgia, number 10 is two tacos and rice and beans. I don't, it's like they always use the same. It's always number 10, almost always. It's a perfect time. Um, and then today, uh, go back to that one. Today uh, we, it is September 12th, correct? Yes. Yep. So we are doing a yes. conducted Bible study. One-ish. About 1 o'clock. When we're done with tacos. Done with tacos. And then uh, the Roman studies will conclude, will start again on the 19th next Sunday afternoon. And then, Daniel, you're starting today. The Daniel, all right. And so we got a double header with Daniel today. And then uh, let's skip that. That was the conference that was uh, this past week. It was really good. Uh, Serge and Helena got to go, and it was just a good time, good teaching. But coming up, October uh, 1st and 2nd, is the Deep South Men's Conference in Lexington, South Carolina. There's a sign up sheet out there, or if you go to our website or that app, um, you'll see like a calendar that'll be on the calendar you can just click on it and it'll uh, let us know that you want to go it doesn't that it says register it doesn't technically register with them and like um, so if you're interested in coming the church covers the entry fee but not the uh, hotels and all of that but um, you can camp out there a lot of times we do that so uh, if you're interested click on that thing sign up on the sheet or let me know I don't have a, I forgot to make a slide there's a women's uh, gathering they're calling it at the towards the end of October in uh, Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain and uh, that's also on the app if you click on that um, you you can see that um, trying to find it October 22nd and uh, it's a Friday and Saturday. It starts at 4 and ends at 4. And uh, so that looks like a good time for the ladies if you're interested in that. But what else do we got? Still need volunteers. Uh, the children's ministry is up and running. And we got uh, uh, three new teachers. And uh, uh, it's going good. But if you're interested in jumping in on that, let me know. Or let Serge know. He's back there today. And uh, what else do we got? Still taking uh, clothes donations. We're switching over, though, from the summer-type stuff to uh, winter-type stuff. And so this, this coming Saturday, we're going to put all the 
summer stuff out, I think is the plan. And then whatever doesn't go, we're going to probably take it to the Goodwill and then load it with the winter type stuff. So uh, start doing that since the, since the weather's starting to cool off a little bit. And so if you uh, have some clothes, feel free to bring them in. It'd be great. What else we got? Oh, you can scan this uh, with your phone, or we have some sheets out there, and this has the, it'll allow you to put it as an app. It's not on the Play Store, uh, but basically this is our Church Connect thing, and uh, now the website, if you go to calvarymcd.org, it goes to this page anyway, so this is kind of our new web page, and uh, it just allows for those things for us to sign up. It allows for you for scheduling for those. The worship team has been using it for quite a while uh, for their stuff. And so it's just an all-inclusive page for all of that. And uh, so we're just kind of switching over to that since we're paying for that anyway. And then we can drop the registration of our uh, old website and save the church a couple hundred bucks a year. So, What else we got? Praise reports. Anybody have anything? Uh, well, we got a couple right behind you, Tony. I was asking for prayer last week for uh, two of my friends um, that had COVID. Uh, they have overcome the COVID, and I am so Praise relieved of that. Praise God. Amen. So last week, um, I had a job interview to see if I can pass to Yule, Yule Forest. It's basically like a pumpkin patch. And I got the job. Yay. All right. Very good. God bless everyone at this church. Um, I just want to say that this week, and the week before and the week before that has been some of the most intense. I've been going to the gym like almost every day and trying to maintain my health and my own sanity in this uh, fallen world. So I just want to say that I pray that everyone here is saved and from whatever wicked, whatever evil is pursuing anyone in this church. I just pray that it be just sent away to the darkest parts of the world so that they just never comes back. And I just bless everyone in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Praise God. Anybody else? Oh, Tina's got her hand up. Hey, guys. I just wanted to give an update and praise to him for, um, for it. Um, James went out to Arkansas last week, and um, he found a house. So we are under contract, Yay. and uh, it's looking to close um, beginning of October. So um, things are in progress. It's a nice home in a nice little community. So we're um, pretty excited that one chapter is closing, another one's opening for us. Yeah. So, Yay. Praise God. Yay. Oh, we're going to miss you guys. Anything else? I have one. My brother Greg survived uh, Corona. He's back, if you notice. And... Uh, and uh, our, our dad did, too, not that they didn't get it from each other, but our dad, uh, and he had, he had pneumonia, but he's, he is good now, survived. And of course, he doesn't tell us. You don't find out until after he's all better. <laughs> but, but, uh, but praise God. 
All right. Uh, anybody have a prayer need? If you'd raise your hand, we just want to gather around you and lift you up in prayer. Nothing going on this morning. Well, then I'll just uh, pray for us, and uh, then Pastor Daniel's. Oh, we have a video uh, after that, after I pray, and we'll do the video, and then Pastor Daniel will come up and uh, bring us the word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for being our God, and we thank you for working in our lives and uh, in so many different ways, Lord. And we just praise you for these reports of you working in our lives, and thank you for healing those that have uh, been ill and sick. And, Lord, we just ask your continued uh hand of healing upon those that are uh, still sick and that uh, those that will uh, continue to be sick and get sick uh, lord and father we just thank you so much for loving us so much for being our god and for breathing air into our lungs and bringing life into us and not just physical life but spiritual life uh, adopting us into your family into your kingdom for all eternity lord and just be with us uh, this morning as we uh, study your word. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When it first happened, the minutes felt like hours. The hours felt like days. And the horror of what happened, one detail after another, could hardly be processed much less understood. Then days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into years. Memorials were built, wars were fought, victims' names were read, survivors tried to pick up the pieces over and over again. But no matter how much time has passed, we vow to hold these memories we will never forget those who were taken from us. The world changes and shifts this way and that. But one thing stays constant. One thing is steady. God. God weeps with us. God mourns with us. God bottles up our tears and records them in his book. He is closer to you than your own breath and remains the cornerstone of life. God is the solid ground holding us up as the world moves beneath us. It's as true today as it was on that day. Our God reigns. He reigns over principalities and powers. His dominion stretches beyond what our eyes can see. And when the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, our God reigns, and we will always remember. everybody just a little little bit of a change in the agenda I wanted to add something uh, when the mic was gonna be passed around and I I thought about it too long and didn't raise my hand but I learned something this week from none other than our own pastor Daniel 
and I wanted to share that with you guys because I think it's really important. Um, we get, sometimes we get kind of wrapped up. I know I've been asking repetitively for prayer in a certain area for literally months now because it's taken months to get through it. And I get tired of asking people to pray for that. And I get to where I feel like even God is tired of hearing it because it's over and over and over. And it's sometimes multiple times an hour. There's times where I felt like it was like every, literally every minute or two, I'm asking the same thing again. So I got to thinking about the whole repetitive nature and, and there's scripture that says, don't be like some people who think by just sheer repetition that they're gonna get what they pray for. But at the same time, the Lord teaches us when we're up against something, we are to ask for deliverance. We are to ask for it to pass. We are to ask for God to supernaturally provide a way when there's a need. And it could be our need. It could be somebody else's need. I personally love interceding for other people. I would much rather pray for other people than pray for myself. It's just always the way I've been in my walk. But the thing is, lost my train of thought, but the thing of it is, Jesus himself, when he was facing the cross, knowing what was coming, knowing full well what was coming, knowing full well what it meant, knowing everything, he knew everything from the beginning to the end, even as a human, he was still 100% God, 100% man. So he knew from the beginning to the, all the way to the end what was going to happen. And he still made the example of praying and asking God, please take this cup from me. If there's any other way, nevertheless, your will be done. So to me, that tells us we are to ask for deliverance from situations that are, that are severely troubling. And he did it three times in the garden. So not just once, but when you need it. That's what you're to do is to go to him and tell him, this is, this is too great for me. This is beyond what I can do. I need your help. I need you to deliver me. I need you to, to send me help, however it works out. But the point is to ask when you need it, to ask anytime you need it or someone else needs it, and not to give up and not to think that it's wasted, not to think that it's in vain. And I personally, I'm one thing that I learned talking with Daniel I think I'm done with the whole, Lord, if it's your will, it'll be done. Of course it will, okay? But the thing of it is, to me, that's me being timid with the Lord. That's me being afraid of praying something out loud in front of other people, only to not have it answered. And being afraid that somehow that's going to reflect bad on God, who knows everything beginning to the end. So he knows what, he, not only does he know what's going to happen and what has happened, but he knows every permutation of possibility ahead of us. Every choice that every one of us makes all at the same time. And that was one of the things in prayer, not this week, but the week before that came to me, is this, when we talk about God, we're talking about capital G-O-D, God. Not a God, not some idea of a God. We're literally talking about a being that not only spoke everything that we see in the creation, including ourselves, but this God is so all-knowing 
that he knows the number of pine needles on a pine tree and could tell you if you asked and he wanted to wanted to prove it. He doesn't need to prove who he is, so he doesn't engage in that kind of activity that I've seen. But he knows the tires on, in the parking lot, he knows the rubber trees that those tires were pulled from, where they came from, the very soil they were pulled from. He knows all of that. He knows where every rock that went into this concrete out here came from. So we're talking a God that knows everything about everything, beginning to the end. So he knows what's coming. He knows how it's going to work out already. We just need to trust him. And you know what? If we say to him, please take this cup, it's too much, and he says no, there's a reason, and we just need to trust that and walk on through it, whatever it is, whatever it costs, whatever it takes. So I would say to you what I've learned these last couple months and, and again, in a conversation is pray more than you think you need to. Like, don't let it be something you do every once in a while. Man, I'm learning every single day, learn to pray. And don't be afraid to ask for things that you need. And when they do or don't come, give him praise anyways. Give him thanksgiving. He knows what's best for you. Trust him. That's it. have to go back to a thing we say it but do we believe it God is good all the time God is good we say it do we believe it you know and that's one of the things Graham and I were talking about in the past couple of weeks we've heard praise reports of people delivered from COVID uh, Sunday two weeks ago I was here in a suit because our very good friend wasn't delivered from COVID here in this life, but God is still good. And it's something that we have to learn because it's not natural. It's not natural to this human body to think that, you know, it's more than here and now. The hereafter is real, and it's more real than the now. Now, that makes my gray matter hurt a little bit. But that is what we're talking about, and it ties in that was entirely unplanned, and that's okay because God does things that way, and it ties in exactly to what we're going to talk about today. Out of Colossians chapter 2, we're going to finish chapter 2, go into chapter 3, and we're going to be working on shifting our focus from the here and now and focusing, you're going, you think I'm going to say hereafter, People do that. We're going to talk about that. I don't want you to focus on the hereafter. I want you to focus on Jesus who is here now. And he is hereafter. And he is here all the time because he is good. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then jump into the scripture. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the characteristics that you show and demonstrate and display to us that you are beyond anything we can think or imagine, and yet you condescend even in the past week, Father, there have been times where you've pointed out an animal, and I went out of my way 
to care for that animal. But I could never communicate to that animal. But Jesus, you go so far more. You became one of us so that you could perfectly communicate to us your nature, your goodness, your kindness, your love. We're asking you now by your Holy Spirit, communicate with us again because God is not me. If there is anything good, it must be you coming through me. Because God, you are good. Daniel is not. And I accept that because Jesus, you are my righteousness. And you have given that to me. And you've given that to everyone here who trusts in you for that. Let us hear now Paul's words, and you make the Apostles' words alive to us through your Holy Spirit that we can grasp you and hold on to you when there's nothing left in this world to hold on to. I thank you, Father, that a world is coming where it will be all about you. And so today, Jesus, we know that you are real. Be real to us in your word. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray. Amen. Today we resume our study of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. I'm thankful that Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians because it is in this letter where Paul's Christology is firmly revealed. Wait a minute. What is Christology? It is a fancy way of saying the knowledge of Christ. Why do I bring up this fancy word? Because last week, Pastor Rob taught on chapter 2, verses 6 through 15, and in those verses, Paul taught us that we are not to be cheated by the world's philosophy. Philosophy does literally mean the love of knowledge, but the word carries the fuller meaning of the knowledge of the way to live our lives. As followers of Jesus, we're not to have our own independent knowledge of the way to live our life. No, we are to follow the way of the Master, that Master being Jesus Christ. Therefore, our way of life is not our own way, but the way we live is based on our Christology rather than our philosophy. In other words, we're to live our lives as disciples of Jesus, getting to know Him, and as we come to know Jesus more and more, then the way we live our life, our walk, will be changed from reflecting the world to reflecting Jesus. So let me turn things upside down. We usually do this at the end. Why not start with, are you following Jesus today? If not, why not? Are you allowing yourself to be cheated through worldly philosophy, traditions of men, science, or the pleasure of sin? Know that only Jesus is real. And all of these other things, they will let you down when you need to lean on them. If you've not decided to follow Jesus, now is the time. Why delay? Decide to follow Jesus and let Him take the lead in your life and walk where He shows you to walk. I promise you that you will come out better by following Jesus. Absolutely promise you that. Now, I don't mean richer, healthier, or that everything in the here and now will work out the way you want. 
but I do mean that you will gain the wealth of heaven an eternal home and friendship with the creator of heaven and earth as a way of review let's start in verse 13 and here again the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for you since Jesus has already done this for you isn't he worth following? I'm going to read verses 13 through 15 from the easy to read version. You were spiritually dead because of your sins and because you were not free from the power of your sinful self. But God gave you new life together with Christ. He forgave all our sins, a debt that listed all the rules we failed to follow. But God forgave us that debt. He took it away and nailed it to the cross. He defeated the rulers and powers of the spiritual world. With the cross, He won the victory over them and led them away as defeated and powerless prisoners for the whole world to see. Humanity wants to deny that there is a personal creator God. Such denial is the empty deceit of humanity's theories, humanity's philosophy. Why is it so important to humanity that there is no creator? Because if there is a creator, then he gets to make the rules. But humanity is still drinking the serpent's poison and attempting to become its own god. Recognize that today, if you do not want to follow God's rules for living His law, then it is because you are believing a lie uttered from a deceiver's lips. Since the I am claims to be creator, we are best served to take Him at His word and trust that He is indeed creator, ruler, and lawmaker. Now why would we take Him at His word? Because He has proven Himself Lord over creation most clearly when he walked this earth as a human man. The miracles performed by Jesus show over and over again the power of the creator at work in humanity's life. Time doesn't permit a detailed review of every evidence from the beginning of Genesis, and if you still doubt me, then take the time to start reading God's testimony at the beginning for yourself. And you will see that God has proven himself over and over to be the creator and the only rightful lawgiver. Why am I belaboring this point? It is because humanity doesn't understand sin until an individual accepts the fact that he or she personally has broken the law of God, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Once you and I accept that we have broken God's law, then we must accept that we will be judged by God's law and required to pay the price by God's law for our sin. What is the price for sin? In Genesis 2.17, you thought I was going to Romans. In Genesis 2.17, the Creator told humanity that the price for sin is death. I went to Romans first and I said, I want to hear it when God first spoke it to humanity. There in the garden where God was walking with humanity and they could physically see Him, He said that in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. In this case, death not only meant the physical body that will wear out and cease functioning, 
But it also means that spiritually we will be separated from God by sin. Why are we separated from God by sin? Because sin breaks God's rules for His creation and pollutes perfection. Since God is perfect and holy, He cannot be contaminated by sin. I want to unravel each one of those sentences, but I want to keep moving. So how can humanity who... God created to be His children ever resume a relationship with God. Here in Colossians, we are reminded by Paul that God took our debt on Himself and died our death for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Couldn't God have just changed the law? No. The Word of God is eternal, and once spoken, God's law cannot be changed without annihilating, and I chose that word on purpose, without annihilating all of creation. So I want you to think about that. I suppose that God could have started over from the beginning after the annihilation of all of this creation in which we're currently living. However, God's word does not change. And from the beginning of this creation... The I am declared his love for humanity, thus preventing our annihilation. Therefore, based on his love for us, Jesus took our debt in the only way possible for our debt to be paid. He took our debt on his own body and was nailed to the cross for all of humanity. Now, some theologians will get mad with me, and I don't care if they get mad, so long as the gospel isn't hindered. Why would they get mad? It is because I believe that when Jesus took the debt of humanity owed to the law of God on the cross, that he took all of humanity's debt to the cross. This fact means that forgiveness is available to every single human being that has ever been or ever will be, and not just a select elect. I hate that lie that the enemy whispers in people's ears that say, I'm not good enough for Jesus to save me. Nobody was. That's the whole point. Nobody was good enough to be saved, but Jesus still took that debt and paid that price for anyone and everyone, and whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why then isn't everyone going to heaven? Because each individual must accept the revelation of God's forgiveness given to him or her. Otherwise, that individual is still living in rebellion and declaring that God's way is not their way. Graham and Marissa got to meet O.C., a little cat that adopted us. Loving little cat. He'll still scratch and try to nibble and whatnot. But if that cat had rabies and the rabies virus had fully come to term, and he went mad, I wouldn't keep that cat in my house. That cat probably wouldn't live. Because a rabid cat can't live in the same house I live in. Sin is like rabies, and sin cannot live in the same house where God lives. So hopefully we get that understanding and know why sin separates. So it's not until we surrender. And can I tell you, I think 
that is the very reason so many people have such a hard time coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It requires you to surrender yourself to God. Oh, but what you get in exchange. Will you, if you have not, surrender yourself to God instead of saying, I want it to be my way, God. Bless me so it will be my way. So I can do it the way that I want to do it. Will you surrender and say, Your way, Yahweh. Jesus is the only way. I will surrender to your knowledge. You are creator. You are lawmaker. You are ruler. You are sovereign over the universe. I bend my knee. I yield my heart. I surrender my mind to you, God Almighty, to be my Savior and to be my King and to be my Master. I've given you the reasons why people don't. And for me, hopefully most of y'all, I have explained away those reasons. Why not? So if there is no reason left, why not to accept Jesus? The only thing that is left is, why don't you go ahead and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? I know people today got a worker that's on a ventilator in a hospital. I don't know his status. But I do know that since COVID struck him, he yielded his heart to Jesus. I know that Tracy's friend said, I am closer to God now than I have ever been after the virus struck her life. Are you going to wait for the scissors to be on the string of your life before you surrender to Jesus Christ. Don't wait. Don't wait till that last second because nobody is guaranteed to know exactly when that string will break and you will meet your fate. Go ahead and make the decision now and I promise you, you will not regret choosing Jesus Christ. Once we accept God's way, then we receive the privilege to live in the new life together with Christ. So that was just the very first part of those few verses. There's another grand truth that we need to understand from what Paul was saying, his Christology. That's why I went into depth there. Paul's Christology is all about Jesus taking our debt to the cross and paying the price. There's another grand truth that happened at the cross that Paul reveals here in Colossians. Today we forget, perhaps even misunderstand, the victory of Jesus on the cross. Prior to the defeat of the spiritual principalities and powers by Jesus on the cross, the world endured enslavement by false angels or demons. These principalities and powers are actual supernatural spiritual beings whom the sovereign king entrusted to govern his creation according to his rules. Like humanity, these spiritual beings believed the deceiver's lies and in so doing enslaved humanity by leading humanity to worship false gods and idols. There's all of the Old Testament up to now New Testament. Jesus triumphed over these false gods by his victory on the cross where he redeemed humanity from death and restored fellowship between God and man. 
I've got to throw in a note I don't have here. Do you know that you don't need somebody to go between you and God? You only need to go to Jesus and you're going to God. Today, we don't have to go to heaven to talk with God and God doesn't physically walk in the garden like He once did. No, today by Jesus' victory, we are alive in Christ. Jesus is in heaven praying with us and for us. Have you ever thought about that for very long? And Christ Jesus is alive in us through His Holy Spirit who is dwelling with us when we're not resisting or grieving Him. Now I've made a short review of verses 13 through 15. We can start to understand what Paul is referring to in the next 12 verses. Therefore, let's remain on this foundation of Paul's Christology we've just reviewed and learn more about what it means for Jesus to be real in our daily lives. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Paul starts his next sentence in verse 16 based on Christ's victory on the cross. Because of the victory of Jesus, no one except Jesus has the right to judge what you and I are eating or drinking. Despite what certain church groups say, God's kosher law no longer applies to God's people. Maybe there are certain benefits in staying away from certain foods. I'm not denying that. I'm a fat man. I understand that I eat too much. So I got that. That ain't what I'm saying. But Jesus does not ask us to keep the kosher dietary law as given to the Jews. Remember, the early church struggled with this concept. But in Acts 15, the apostles agreed with Jesus and solidified this teaching with this letter to the believers. Acts 15, starting in verse 23, The apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your soul, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such command or commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same thing by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. If you had trouble reading the script, I wanted it to look like a letter, but more importantly, I saw some of you turn to your Bible. I want you to have a bookmark to that place in your Bible so when some false teacher comes up to you and says, you got to do this or you got to do that or you got to eat this way or you can't eat that way or we'll get on down to it on this day or that day, you got to go to church. I want you to go over to Acts 15. I want you to know where that is at. 
I want you to ingrain that into your own Christology, your own knowledge, that on the cross, Jesus nailed the law to the cross and set us free so that he becomes our righteousness because we can never keep the law so that we are righteous on our own. From this letter of the apostles to the church, we can understand that the main point of abstaining from any certain food is not because of the food in of itself, but from the perception of what eating the food means. For example, Paul will teach the Corinthian church that if a new believer joins them for a meal and that the new believer is convicted of eating meat because it was possible the meat was sacrificed to an idol, then they should not eat the meat around that believer. In other words, love for God and one another should be our guide when it comes to choosing our food and not a written list of do's and don'ts. This requires spiritual maturity. And I dare say that most Christians today still don't want to be mature. I'm just remembering Paul or Barnabas, whoever was the Holy Spirit used to write Hebrews. They said, some of you are still drinking milk when you should be eating meat. You got to cut meat, don't you? You got to work at it. Milk, you just turn up a glass and drink it. A lot of people always want to be drinking from the glass of Christology instead of working hard to prepare and to get the meat to where they can take it in and digest it and learn from it. Why? They don't want to take the responsibility of following Jesus. Just give me a list of what I'm not supposed to eat, they say. And what they mean is, I don't want to have to actually talk with Jesus to see if doing something is loving towards God or others. I just want a list so I don't have to think about this. Perhaps a better example before I meddle is how does the food we eat or what we drink demonstrate our love toward God? See what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for the, foods, plural, for the stomach and the stomach for foods. But God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Once again, maybe you can read it on the screen. I forgot it moved from there to there. Maybe you can read it on the screen. This is another one of those I believe you need to mark in your Bible that you need to go to. It's one of the ones I first learned it out of the new, new IV. And it said, all things for me are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. For, all things are permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. I want you to keep that in mind. I will not be mastered by no food, no substance other than the substance of Christ should be our master in this life. From this section of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, we hear once again that all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful or beneficial. Even worse, there are some things that will take power over us if we consume those things, and God alone should have power over us. That's what it means to call Jesus Lord, is that He is Lord. 
you do what the Lord says do and you don't do what the Lord says don't do. It's kind of simple, but we seem to have trouble understanding that. Even worse, uh, are these things that take the power over us? So what things take power over us? We use the term drugs to refer to most of these things today. And perhaps we need to include alcohol and sugar together under the pharmacia language. Of course, the right use of pharmaceuticals is beneficial, and therefore it is not the right use to which Paul is referring, but the abuse of these tools of sorcery. Remember, it was clearly understood in Paul's time that witches used potions to control people. Dare I say that today there is a plague of sorcery controlling too many people even in our churches. For me, the addiction was nicotine in the form of cigarettes. Now, I'm not saying cigarettes are bad for everybody. I was addicted to the nicotine in the cigarettes. In my rebellion, I would tell well-meaning church people that nowhere in the Bible did God tell me I couldn't smoke. And that's partially true. However, God tells me in these verses that He alone is to be the controlling influence of my life and not a drug. Having experienced addiction with a mild form of sorcery, I can tell you that today the easiest way to cure addiction is to never allow yourself to be addicted to anything other than Jesus. However, Jesus took away my addiction first on the cross, and that's where you got to look first. God took me to Psalm 69 until I saw Jesus on the cross carrying my addiction and my sin. And when I saw Jesus on the cross, literally the way that I saw it was uh, before a firing squad, they would always on TV and movies offer the the person to be executed a cigarette and God asked me the question when I was hanging on the cross would I have taken a cigarette and I went no and can I tell you God used that that sounds really simple but he broke that addiction in my life supernaturally and physically by putting me in a place for the next 30 days where I was not around another smoker God moves in miraculous ways. If he did that for me with cigarettes, if you are addicted to anything today, the same God who delivered me is the same God who will deliver you, but you have got to get your eyes on Jesus on the cross where the price was paid, and you can't keep looking at what has power over you unless that is Jesus Christ. Jesus still delivers the addicted today. I believe it. I also believe it's still a miracle and a supernatural process. Okay, we've made it through the first half of verse 17. I don't appear to be moving fast, (laughs) but I do hope that the impact of God's word in our lives will last. So I'll pick up a little bit of speed and attempt to tie all of this together. What about these festivals, new moons, and the Sabbath requirements? Today, many of us aren't familiar with the religious requirements to observe the holy days. But not too many years in the past, people in the church were taught that if you did not observe certain holy days, then your salvation would be in jeopardy. You are aware of that, right? You need to do a little historical research. I can recommend some books. Dave Hunt's uh, Woman Rides on the Beast is a great one to open your eyes. 
However, there seems to be a constant struggle to make the followers of Jesus return to the Sabbath worship of God. When is the Sabbath? Summers. It may be easier for everyone to agree on this question if I say it this way. What day is the seventh day of the week? Saturday. Right. Who's it named for? Absolutely. Who is Saturn? The Roman god of sowing, wealth, and liberation who was celebrated in December with a festival of depravity and debauchery. I ain't going any further than that. Isn't it ironic that the Jewish day of rest has instead become the day to party? You think somebody might be behind the scenes working on that. In the Hebrew language, Sunday was known or is known as Rishon. And that simply means the first. So they had the Sabbath, which talked about rest. And then the rest of the day, they didn't have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It was the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, sixth day, and the Sabbath. <laughs> That's simply the way it worked. So let's think about it. if Sunday is the first day, as in the first day of the week, what place is Jesus supposed to have in our lives? First, when should we worship Jesus? Not what day. When should we worship Jesus? First, who was the first to rise from the dead in a glorified body? Jesus. It was this kind of thinking that led the early church to worship on Sunday and the fact that the Jews were in all the gathering places on Saturday. So if we had some, you know, we could put Jesus first, put him on the first day of the week. Now, I ain't telling you that you got to worship just on Sunday. So there's not one specific day of the week that we must worship together, but it does make it easier if we agree on the day of the week that we're all going to get together. Uh, because, you know, if Amy was just here playing her guitar and then nobody else in the band, they came on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, but and nobody ever got together, it wouldn't be nearly the corporate worship that it needs to be. Jesus has got to be first in our lives, and we must understand that Jesus is our Sabbath because it is in Jesus that we find our rest, and that deserves a whole other topical study. Jesus is our Sabbath. We're back to Christology, our knowledge of Christ. Jesus is your Sabbath because it is in Jesus that we find our rest. Why would anyone want to make us follow rules that God doesn't ask us to follow? Because they want power over us and if acting like God gives them that power, then they will do so. God has that power over us and yet He chose to be our loving Father rather than the universal dictator. To believe otherwise is to be cheated of our reward, and that is where we pick back up with Paul in Colossians. Told you, picking up steam, speed as we go forward. Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. What is our reward? Our reward is living forevermore in the presence and power of the Creator of the heavens and the earth, and not as disembodied spirits, but as human beings with glorified bodies, able to experience and enjoy the delights of holiness. Remember, Jesus 
had honeycomb and fish and he sat around and hung out with the guys in his resurrected body. How is it that people were attempting to cheat the Colossians and us of our reward? Part of our reward is enjoying fellowship with Jesus here and now as well as hereafter. Yet when we are misled into following another human being instead of Jesus, then we are robbed of experiencing life with Jesus here and now. There continues to be a weakness in human beings to want to follow a human here on earth who appears to be holy. Watch the documentary on the Moonies. It was devastating to see how people would exalt a man who claimed to be Messiah above Jesus Christ. Jesus clearly taught us that we were not to expect him to return in a way that would be that would not be visible to everyone. And that was the whole thing. Uh, what was it? Sun Young Moon was the leader of the Moonies, and he said that Jesus really didn't die on the cross, and somehow or another he now was the Messiah. And hundreds of thousands of people have bought his life. Jesus said, When I come back, everybody's going to see me come back, beloved. You better watch the eastern sky. I'm going to split it wide open and there's not going to be any question of who it is returning. Yet, people today all over the world are worshiping and following men and women who claim to be a Messiah or have some special revelation that God shared with them only. Watch out when somebody says, I've got a revelation that God shared with me and me only. How are we to resist this weakness of our human nature to give special attention to those who claim to have special revelation, or who ask us to worship angels. We are to cling to Jesus who is real. In verse 17, Paul taught us that Jesus is real, that the body of Jesus is the real substance, the solid rock on which we are to build the foundation for our way of life. Jesus is not our philosophy. Jesus is our master who is leading the way and who has provided his body to protect us along the way. When we are holding fast to the head of the body, then we are holding fast to the head of the church who is in heaven and not here on earth. We are trusting that Jesus has passed along to his apostles all that we need for following him, and that with the death of the last eyewitness of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that Jesus has closed this testimony because it contains all we need for this life to ensure that we get to the next as faithful servants of Jesus. Understand, neither Paul nor I are saying that visions are altogether or wrong, but what you must hear is that visions cannot replace or contradict the Word of God. God still moves supernaturally, but He will never direct you against the received revelation of Jesus found in God's Word. So how do we know that we're in the right church, the right body of Christ? We will know that we're in the right church when we know that the church we are in is holding on to Jesus Christ and Him alone. Is the church faithfully, honestly promoting Jesus Christ or is the church promoting itself, its traditions, or is it promoting a certain man above all others who is not Jesus Christ? Is the church growing in its affections for Jesus and for serving the community around the church to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, connecting Jesus, 
as surely as your own hands and feet are controlled by your central nervous system and muscles. Does your church point you to Jesus because Jesus is real and it's all about Jesus? If so, hold on to Jesus and serve Him in the world around you by being part of the body of Christ. Do you have to go to church to be saved? No. But if you're holding on to Jesus who is the head of the church, how can you not want to be where Jesus is? I'm going to move on so I don't meddle. How then do we hold on to Jesus in the sense of having a relationship, if I can speak, how then do we hold on to Jesus in the sense of having a relationship with God both here and now and hereafter? I never like to get to a place here and not give you the house. We must remember what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus is doing for us, and place our hope in Jesus for the future. Paul goes on teaching this to us and the Colossians and the rest of this chapter. Verses 20 through 23. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Paul is teaching us that we must always be aware of Jesus in our life, in our past, and in our present, and in our future. We must always be aware of humanistic teachings, those that glorify humanity rather than Jesus. Sure, they may sound religious, but in reality, they have no power to change our lives. It is Jesus who is transforming us into His image through His Holy Spirit's work in us. So why then would we be dependent on anyone else's teachings except for Jesus and His apostles who recorded His teachings? We must always be aware that we have died with Christ and because we have died with Jesus on the cross, that we are no longer slaves to the powers of this world. This is a truth that is worth more time and worth our meditation. This is the heart of spiritual warfare and the theater of war where we are engaged in battle. Perhaps at another time the Lord will allow a special topical study of this one point, but for now let's keep moving forward. We must always be aware that Jesus is our commander and our counselor. We are to follow His commandments alone and not be subject to the empty traditions and principles of this world. We follow the teachings of Jesus and not the teachings of humanity. Pastor Bob Hoekstra makes this his main point of teaching in his Counseling God's Way series. I recommend Pastor Bob's series for everyone and not just those who want to counsel other people because Pastor Bob continually points to Jesus as our wonderful counselor. We must always be aware that the things of this world are passing away. It's tough, I know it is. But the things that we worry about and consume so much of our time are almost all the physical things that will fade away with time and which will certainly be replaced at Christ's return. Our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with others, those things, those memories will remain. 
We must always be aware of human commandments and teachings since they have no beneficial power to enable the change we need in our lives. Only the Holy Spirit has the power to change our way of thinking so that we freely choose to obey God's commands and refuse to focus on filling up our fleshly desires. It is through the Holy Spirit that we learn contentment, but so often our flesh is not content with enough but keeps demanding more and more of this world. How shall we ever overcome the desires of our flesh? Paul gives us how in chapter 3, and today we'll just quickly look at verses 1 through 4. Colossians 3, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Paul does not question the fact that those believing in Christ have been raised with Christ. He is actually making a very firm statement of fact that if a person believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then that person has in fact been resurrected with Jesus Christ. I didn't get that sentence wrong. If or since a person believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then that person has in fact been resurrected with Jesus Christ, even though we have not experienced that reality now. Just because we are not now living in a newly resurrected body, does that does not mean that from God's eternal point of view, we are not already living in a newly resurrected body. Let that sink in. From God's perspective, we have already been resurrected. It kind of boggles my mind. I ain't there yet. What if we truly thought about and lived this current life knowing that we have already been resurrected? Lord, grant us that perspective so that we minimize our desire for this world and focus our attention on the blessing you have prepared for us. I'm going to admit that I'm still a learner in this area as well and recognize that some have proven to be so heavenly minded they were no earthly good. In other words, I've seen those who were so focused on getting to the other side that they were not very active for Christ in this life and they were not active to advance the kingdom of God. I believe that the Lord desires our perfection and harmony. So how do we find that perfection and harmony. Is it possible that when Paul is talking about those things which are above, he is referring specifically to Jesus himself and not random things? There is a reward waiting for all of us in heaven. And I think that when we focus on the reward rather than the rewarder, then we are still not focusing correctly. What do we know about the person of Jesus? Jesus is truth. He is reality. If this life were the matrix, then Jesus exists outside of the simulation and he is the designer, the programmer, and user of the computer. Paul was teaching this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. Jesus is love and all that defines love is true of Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is long-suffering. And so as on as Paul revealed in God's dictionary of love in 1 Corinthians 13. As we look to Jesus, we look in the face of love. Jesus is life and he came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. 
Jesus is the vine and we are to abide in Him so that His strength flows through us, John 15. Jesus is the light of heaven and has been shown in this world. All of the Gospel of John in His letters. Jesus is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Jesus is the prince of peace and the peacekeeper. From these few examples, and they are all found in the Bible. I challenge you, I know we didn't have time to write all that down. You'll find all of that in the Bible. I pulled it mainly from memory. It's there though. That reminds me that if we're going to look into the author and the finisher of our faith, then we will best do so by first looking into his message to us in order to see him. We often forget that devotional reading of the Bible is a privilege that we must not ignore. While we do not have a picture of Jesus, we have several thousand words in God's word and they all paint a picture of Jesus. What else can you add to this list in your personal Bible study? Maybe, just a thought, we should keep a journal to aid our memory and as we study the Bible, write down every time we see Jesus revealed in the Bible as we have our devotional Bible study. If we go back and review the verses we have studied today to see, is there a picture that Paul was painting of Jesus? In the verses in Colossians we studied today, Jesus is real. And last thing quickly, Jesus is the giver of life by virtue of removing the impossible requirements for me to live a perfect life. Colossians 2.14 Jesus is victorious and shares his victory. Colossians 2.15 Jesus is the head of the body, his church, and Jesus is real. Colossians 2.17 Jesus nourishes his body so that it grows, Colossians 2.19. Jesus is seated, resting from his work at the right hand of God. Jesus is rest. Jesus is my protector because my life is hidden with Christ in God. He is rest, Colossians 3.1. My life is hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3.3. Finally, Jesus is life and I will share in his glory when he appears. Colossians 3, 4. Will you turn your eyes and look to Jesus? It's really that simple. But it takes a lot of dedication. It takes a lot of discipline. And it takes time from the other things of this life that are going to pass away and disappear. Now that you followed Him as Lord, will you continue to look at your Lord over and over and over. Will you, every time you pick up your Bible, whether it's paperback or whether it's digital, will you say the simple prayer, Jesus, let me see you in your word every time I read your word. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy, and I thank you for the patience of the people today. And I pray, God, that your message has been able to Reach them in a way that is meaningful. Maybe it only meant something to me because Jesus, I admit for years I've been, been working really, really hard trying to figure out how to set my eyes on you. And Jesus, you answered through this. You told me through this that the way that I do it is I get into your word I, I read your word as a devotion and look for you. 
I'm challenged. I need to go back. I need to take the sermon notes that I've got here. And I need to go back and I need to write down and just over and over, Jesus is life. And then where I find that in the Bible. Jesus is rest. And then where I find that in the Bible. And I need to turn back to that if I've got to find a way to summarize so that when the waves are crashing and the wind is blowing and when it just seems impossible to go on, that I don't turn to some human philosophy. I don't turn... I know a 12-step program is great for some people. I'm not downing it, but God, I need to turn to You. And I need to look to You because You are the beginning and You are the end. And You are everything that I need to overcome and endure in this life. And I'm using a lot of eyes, God. And I hope there's some other people that are joining me in this prayer and that I'm not just pointing at myself because I do need you a whole lot. But I pray, God, that all together we are reaching out to touch you, to see you, to hold on to you, knowing that you, Jesus, you are our reward. Let us long for the day. Let our hearts ache. Let our ears be tuned in to hear the sound of a trumpet, and if not the sound of a trumpet, your voice, Jesus, welcome us home with the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray. Amen.
the words for Waymaker back there, sister.
seems to be no way, Lord, when the path is completely blocked off, when it's all, when it's all closed doors, Lord, and then you move, and you make a way, and you bring the healing that was needed, you bring the recovery that was needed, or you bring, you bring the strength that was needed. God, we thank you that you make a way, Lord, that you are our miracle worker that you are the light that we follow. God, we thank you that it is the blood of Jesus that makes us righteous. And Lord, we could not stand before you without it. So thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love. And thank you for our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed to lunch.